Today on Rooted Daily, we talk about how we should go about confessing sin. Welcome to Rooted Daily, the podcast where in 10 minutes or less each day we root you in the Bible so you can grow with God, you can weather the storms of life, and you can bear fruit. I'm Brandon Levy, and today we are talking about our conscience, that inner voice that tells us to do something or not to do something, or more often just the gut feeling we get, and how we can line that up with God's truth. You know, generally, we have a pretty good sense of right and wrong. I know uh, instinctually that it's better to help people and hurt them. Even if I don't always listen to that philosophy, it's still there shaping my decisions. You can generally follow your conscience and it will point you in the right direction. But sin warps a conscience. Sin distorts your perception of right and wrong and destroys your innocence. So while it is generally going to lead you in the right direction, listening to some inner voice you imagine or just following your gut is sometimes going to lead to some bad decision making because both your mind and your gut were marred by sin. You know, Paul explains this for us and bear with me because I want to start a few verses ahead to get the context of what he's saying. In Romans chapter 11, starting in verse 25, he writes, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. Now, skip down to verse 30 to save some time. And he writes, just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. So let's take stock of that. Israel, the chosen nation of God, had been given everything they needed to have perfect godly consciences. God literally spelled it out for them, word for word, speaking through prophets and through the law. And time after time, they rejected that instruction. But Paul says here that despite their disobedience, God would never revoke his promises and love for them. So he sent his son, who would be the savior of all people, Israelite and Gentile alike. Now, There's a lot more in this section, and we can come back to it on another day. And now that I've got it on my mind, I probably will come back to it in a week or so. But for now, that's enough context to move on to verse 33. It might be labeled in your Bible as a doxology, but don't let that throw you off. I'm convinced this is integral to Paul's argument here. He writes in verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be glory forever. You You could sum that up by saying God has infinite knowledge, infinite wisdom. So give him all the glory. And then the very next word we read is one of my favorites. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, Paul writes, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know, that word, therefore, is pivotal. It ties this section about the hardening of Israel and their disobedience. Paul says that that's connected with this instruction. Because of Israel's disobedience, Paul says, don't become conceited to, to the ones he's writing to. And this is happening because God has allowed this hardening in part so that the full number of Gentiles can come in and Israel will come alongside them in this new nation of God founded on his son. But what does any of this have to do with my conscience? You were probably asking at this point. Well, look at what Paul says to do in response to this information in verse 2 of chapter 12. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know, Israel had all the right ingredients to know right from wrong. But they didn't. They didn't do it. Something went haywire and their consciences were leading them in the wrong direction to be disobedient to God. And then we read that doxology about God's wisdom and his knowledge being perfect. Therefore, Paul says, we need to recalibrate our conscience, our minds with him. You know, on our own, our conscience might lead us in the wrong direction because it's always being reshaped by the pattern of this world. And Paul is just explaining what we know from story after story in the Old Testament. God tells people what is right and what is wrong and evil to do. People do the right thing for a while, but eventually we get it through our heads that right is wrong and wrong is right. We see it over and over in the cycle of the Old Testament, and we see it today, where our society confuses righteousness with evil and evil with righteousness. We see it in our schools and in our workplaces, even in our churches where sin is esteemed and God's truth is called evil. That's the pattern of the world. And if we are immersed in the world, that is going to be what is shaping our conscience. And so Paul says we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And that is a continual and a constant process. Our consciences are under attack. Our senses of right and wrong are being manipulated by the world. And the only way to fight back is by letting God in, rooting ourselves in his word daily so that we are always lining up our worldview with truth. Then a couple chapters over, Paul gives us a practical example of this working out. And it may seem uh, slightly different from the discussion that we've had already. But Paul is largely talking about individuals who, for lack of better terms, have warped their consciences to be more conservative than truth. In other words, they're binding rules on themselves that God is not. They were only eating vegetables and calling things clean and unclean uh, and esteeming one day above another and so on. Now, these weren't heinous crimes. These these weren't heinous crimes. Uh, sins, especially compared to what Paul talks about in Romans uh, 1, and those sins where people were worshiping uh, the creation rather than the creator. That's not what um, Paul is talking about here. These were people who had taken uh, something from the past, something from this worldview that they already had, and they tried to apply it to their faith. And so they were binding things on themselves 
that they shouldn't have to. But he gives this interesting advice. He says, I am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. And then the next few verses carry that thought process out. And then we read in chapter 15, we then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached, you fell on me. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we may, through the patience and the comfort of scriptures, might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may, with one mind and one mouth, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says, bear with one another. We're all in the same boat. We've all got different things that shape how our conscience affects us. And generally, our consciences do a pretty good job of directing. So much so that Paul says it is wrong not to follow our conscience. But he noticeably does not say that our conscience is always right. Yes, we should follow it. And generally, we should bear with people whose consciences guide them to do things in a certain way that isn't bound on them as long as they don't have to or as long as they're not trying to bind that on me. But Paul never says that is where we stop. In verse 5, Paul says, be patient, be comforting like God is to you. But ultimately, the goal is to be of like mind. Don't tear those with weaker consciences down. Help them be transformed by the renewing of their mind so you can think the same way according to Christ Jesus. And you know how you do that? He says by relying on the same authority, the scriptures, and continuously and constantly going back to recalibrate your conscience to line up with God's truth. That'll do it for this episode of Rooted Daily. And I'm looking forward to sitting down and studying God's word with you next time. Thank you so much for stopping for this episode of Rooted Daily. It is so important to take a few minutes to root ourselves in Christ and in his word. I'm so glad you did it with us today. If you think that it's important that others hear this good news, make sure to hit the share button and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app. It helps us reach more and more people with the message of Jesus every day. Most importantly, if you're ready to take the next step, repent, be baptized, and hand over your life to Christ, shoot me an email to brandon at rooteddaily.com right now.